0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Candid Community Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, this is a podcast where we want to inspire you as a community leader, a business leader, uh, maybe you're an entrepreneur. Or maybe you're just a leader wherever it might be that you have influence. I'm your host, Nick Glue, and today we're excited to share a new series with you that was recently launched by Marion Economic Development Corporation. It's called The Story Of. Now, some of you might be thinking, the story of what? What? I'll tell you that in a minute. So the story of is really just one of several ways that Marion Economic Development is trying to collaborate with entrepreneurs in our community and connect them with the great support assets that exist in our region. Uh, Quite simply, the story of is a platform to share the success stories of entrepreneurs in our community with those who aspire to do the same. So this month, we feature the story of Bob Sternowski. Bob is the owner of Marion-based Softronics, and that's a company that he grew from a hobby business to a successful company that now works with global customers. Uh, We hosted him on May nineteenth, 2022, and I hope you enjoy the story of Bob Sternowski.
1: Uh, Softronics is a small business. Somebody commented earlier that, uh, well, I'm not familiar with you. We fly under the radar, deliberately, and uh, you'll see why. What I'm gonna do is just kind of give you the uh, story of how we came to be. Who are we? What's our business model? I'm giving you a one-page profile of my background because in a small business, it has everything to do with the skills, knowledge, connections of the guy who starts it, guy or gal. And so that does make a difference and you'll see how that weaves into the thing. I'm gonna, this is kind of a story uh, that I'm gonna tell. Uh, I don't, I'm not a believer presentation style and doing Technicolor accessory Street graphics presentations. All it has in here are words that prompt me to what to tell you in the story. So just so there's no shocks here, there won't be any cartoons or audio. Kind of a description of the journey that we went through in growing the company from nothing up. Uh, Lessons that we learned and there were quite a few valuable lessons that I'm happy to share. Uh, I'm doing, and of course we'll have questions uh, uh, at the end, you're welcome to stay. I had no particular cutoff or requirement to be anywhere else uh, this morning. Uh, I do feel that those of us who've been through this do have an obligation to help other people. And that's what we do, that's what I do. Uh, we're mostly uh, retired people, but that's getting ahead of the story a little bit. So. Uh, Let's launch in there. Who are we? Well, what we put on our uh, proposals and uh, uh, to customers are a proven reputation and quick reaction means we work fast. Don't stand on ceremony. State-of-the-art electronic design, manufacture, and repair. We design it, we build it, and we take care of it for as long as the customer owns it. Uh, Iowa veteran-owned business incorporated 1984, so we've lasted a while. Uh, We have over a thousand staff years of engineering experience, and that comes primarily from the fact that we have a lot of retired people that works out well. We'll talk about that more in a few minutes. We're AS9100 certified, which is a higher level of ISO 9000 that is required in our business. They want to know, the customer wants to know, are you ISO certified? Yes, we are. AS9100 simply means that we are certified to build equipment that goes on Boeing airliners that you fly on. That's what that means. uh, certified all kinds of things. DCAA is the defense contract audit agency. We are actually a defense contractor. That's why we fly under the radar. That's why you've never heard of us. Uh, we don't do any kind of advertising, have banners at the ballpark or anything. Why? Uh, we sell to the government and to the military and uh, there's no point uh, uh, other than just community support and doing any advertising. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, and we are set up as a C Corp. And that's another thing that there's a lot of interesting questions that uh, other startups ask is well why not LLC? Why not an S Corp? Why did you guys go to the trouble of the C Corp? You know, if you go to sell the business later, oh we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, There is a good reason to keep your personal taxes at arm's length from the company. And that's the difference between a C Corp and an LLC and S Corp is that those are tangled up with your personal finances. If you go to a C Corp, the C Corp has the tax liabilities, not you personally. And that that can be a big deal. Our business model, and uh, y- you have to decide up front, what is it that you want to do? Uh, we are first and foremost out of the box thinkers and inventors. We have customers come to us and say, here's what we want to do. Uh, can, you, uh, can you build it next week? Uh, that's usually how the question starts out. No, we can't do it by next week. But, uh, well, can you do it? And then we get into uh, you generally a couple month discussion of the uh, laws of physics and uh, price and what we can actually do versus what they want. But we tend to be uh, the guys who do all the strange things that nobody else wants to or can do. And uh, we stick to radio and electronics in general and radio specifically because uh, that's our expertise, it's my expertise. And uh, that's what I built the company around. We try very carefully to stick to our knitting. We don't go out and do, build uh, cookie ovens for a bakery. Uh, that's kind of out of our business uh, in a number of different ways. Uh, we're trying to stay small. The goal of the company is not to grow it into a $10 billion a year company, go public and then retire and buy an island in the Pacific. That's not the goal. The goal is really to have some fun. Remember, we're we're mostly retired guys that started this. We checked our block. We did all the stuff at a big corporation. Now we want to have a little fun doing the things we weren't allowed to do. And we do. We'll take risks. We'll do crazy stuff that nobody else wants to do. And we want to stay under the 50 employee federal limit because all the regulations come thundering down on your head if you get over 50 employees. Uh, And no, our goal is not to be billionaires and IPO out of it. The idea is to have a a small business that is sustaining, that just keep going on forever. And right now with the customer base and the products we have that you never see, we're set up right now for about another 20 year run so far just with what we have. So it'll just keep going under the radar forever and keep everybody employed and happy and keep our customers happy. Uh, we maintain a flexible supply chain, very important principle, don't try to do everything yourself in-house. Do what you're good at and hire somebody who's better at it for the stuff you don't know how to do. Um, and you'll see that theme recur throughout what I'm going to talk about. Our focus is on the aerospace business and in particular, our focus is on the government business. Very few competitors, nobody wants to do business with the government. Like, oh no, don't talk to me about doing business with the government. I did it for 34 years at Collins, ran a business unit among other things. No big deal. All you have to do is understand the rules. Read the rule book, not hard to do. Everybody's scared off by that. It's great for us. No competition. So we've picked our niche this is our model, we design it, we manufacture it, and we do all the after-sales support for it, all in one. That chain and is part of the secret to what we're doing. When you're designing something, one of the well-known rules and axioms in the design business is that design is a break-even business. If you're a design shop that's going to design custom solutions for people, the best you're ever going to do is break even on expenses. The money is in manufacturing. Even more money is in support. Try getting your car fixed. Try buying spare parts for your car. That's where the money is. Designing this stuff, you don't make a profit on that. Okay, so that's our business model design it build it support it stay small no grandiose uh, uh, visions and stick to our knitting okay founder profile i promised i'd make, keep it brief uh, i've been in the business for 52 years uh, i started out as a kid as a radio ham and I knew I loved electronics from the very first day I played with a radio and I said, that's what I want to do. I knew what I wanted to do. There was no doubt. My dad was a plumber. Uh, I grew up in the uh, New York City metropolitan area. And uh, I grew up building things, taking things apart, whatever. So I was an engineer just from the very day, I was, a few days after I was born, I got into the mechanics of things. I've uh, gotten double-E uh, degrees and a, a master's in business. I am one of the few New Jersey refugees that was hired by Collins back in the 60s. I think there were only six people from the East Coast at Collins when I came out here. I was one of them. It was a tough sell to the East Coast crowd. Uh, the thing that was, uh, that I discovered after i retired and started this i started this business up full time was how well cross trained i'd been by collins and i say cross trained accidentally now they had oh in the 70s and 80s they started rotation programs they'd pick so they'd anoint some people and say all right you're going to be our next generation we're going to rotate you through well before they thought about before they thought about doing that I kind of got shifted from job to job to job to job to job to job and kind of actually got better than the rotation people did. I got dumped into everything. And uh, the interesting thing was that after my first 10 years there, um, and I started out just a radio designer. So I could solder, build, design, ran a little group, ran some projects, was happily doing engineering type work that I really... Was really my goal when hiring in there, uh, and I came to Collins from New Jersey because Collins was the number one name in radio in the world. That's why I came out here. Uh, I had I'd never been in the Midwest. Was kind I got a lot of funny stories about that, but uh, <laughs> including uh, one of the things if you grow up grow up in the uh, East Coast New York area, the idea of delicatessens and deli deli sandwiches and stuff. When hy opened the big super Hy-Vee here and they had the meat counter and I went up there and I saw, hey, they got pastrami here. I've had a pastrami sandwich for 20 years. So I go up to the counter, take my number and wait there and the high school gal that was working back there, I say like a half pound of the pastrami. Half pound of pastrami, right. So just a minute, walks in the back and you hear a little voice, Fred, what's pastrami? <laughs> That's that stuff right there. <laughs> anyway, uh, I got a, got a great deal of experience. And after my first 10 years, I accidentally got sucked into um, the classified world with the government. And um, I began running the unit that became their Skunk Works, equivalent of Skunk Works. That's actually what I did most of my career. That's why I'm used to being under the radar and and staying that way, because you're required to do that. But in doing that, I was everything. I was out on the front line with the customer. I was out in the field with the customer. I was the, the director of the business unit. I was the field service guy. I was everything. And boy, let me tell you, there's no better training than being forced to take your product and go out in the field with the customer, elbow to elbow in the middle of nowhere. That's what I did. Retire, retired in 03, I had incorporated the company earlier, just doing a little hobby work. I just got a little bored now and then, so I did a little consulting, but I just really wasn't ready to stop working, but I had enough politics for one lifetime. And so I left and I recruited some other part-timers and uh, retirees and uh, away we went. So the background is I'm a radio guy. Guess what Softronics is? It's a radio company. There's a connection and I had already been cross-trained in everything I needed to know to run a business, small business, although I didn't realize that when I started. I figured that out pretty quick as we started running into things. Our customers are all over the place. Uh, We work with all the big guys. We are a supplier and designer to Collins. Uh, Collins subcontracts, an unbelievable amount of stuff that we used to do there. And I find that kind of sad in a way, but that's the way it is. And we work with a lot of big government people, at least the ones I can put on there. Uh, Kodan is our first international customer they're down in Australia and so we got an international component we build and ship stuff uh, to them and for them also Growth journey, okay, so what I'm going to do is just kind of go chronologically feel free to ask questions again uh, as we go here uh, 2003 when I retired on a Friday I walked and uh, showed up Monday morning in my rented office uh, for Softronics. Uh, it was uh, pretty austere. We already had two government contracts and something called the SBIR program that the government has. Small Business Innovation Research Program. It's a program where they'll uh, give you They list. Uh, they publish a list. It used to be every quarter. Now it's three times a year. They publish a list of the most intractable Invention problems that the various government agencies have that had been unsolved. Nobody's been able to figure out how to do it. Big guys or anybody. And so they publish a list of this and they the program was deliberately established about 20 plus years ago. To go find the smart guy in his garage or basement who's got a great idea for solving something that's unsolved. That nobody else thought of. That is the point of the program. And all the rules are set up to do that. That's how I got started. I had a contract from NOAA, uh, the weather service, to do a uh, really unusual piece of electronics for their uh, atmospheric observing system. And so we spent two years working on that and we got another military uh, study contact right behind that. Started out with three part-time and three uh, full-time guys sitting in the middle of a huge empty uh, room. Uh, our, we rented a building, as a matter of fact, we rented the old dairy out at uh, 35th and Mooneyer. We rented that part of that from Tim Mooney. And uh, we were paying $4 per square foot per year for rent. Now that's austere as rent goes, let me assure you. Building was austere too, but that's okay. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that we learned pretty quickly, and it, it, we didn't learn it, but we just did it. We're all cheapskates. So, yeah, we was a pretty low-rent building. It wasn't exactly uh, the Taj Mahal, but, hey, it was a building. It had heat, it had air conditioning. Uh, we were one of Welter Furniture's best customers. No air on chairs and brand-new cubes and stuff like that. Uh, bought some used uh, Dell computers, bought our equipment from eBay and uh, for about uh, 5 to 10 cents on a dollar for what we'd pay if we got new stuff. And, and I put in about 25000 over the first two years of my own money to just get it started. You have to get started somehow. But uh, number one advice, piece of advice is if you're going to start up Don't go design and build a building. Sorry about your new buildings and industrial park. Don't go buy and build a building. Don't go buy new furniture. Don't buy new equipment. Don't go out and buy a brand new foosball table. Just be frugal when you start. There's time for that later. Uh, To date, I think we've only bought three new pieces of equipment in 20 years. Everything else we buy used if you buy one or two generations older of electronic test equipment you get it for about 10 or 20 percent the price of a new one well i can live with one or two generations old just it's kind of like a washing machine new washing machines have computers in them and tv screens and 22 different variables when all you want to do is wash a load of clothes with soap in it well all those frills are nice the test equipment's the same way you don't need all that You know what you're doing, you can do the same thing with the old equipment. I ran everything, hub and spoke, because I knew how to do everything. Uh, We had a company company credit card uh, and a checking account that I got from the Collins Credit Union. Uh, Since I had been banking with them for 30-some years, I went to them and said, Hey, I went there first and said, Hey, can can I get a... uh, Credit card and something a credit uh, uh, checking account going for a small business. They were very helpful, and we did, and that is also an important first connection. We set up a web domain and email. Now, I, I uh, I've worked with a lot of startup businesses when I was at Collins because in the Skunkworks business, the small guys with the bright idea were the ones we were looking for to do this really weird stuff and um, I watched them go through a lot of trials and tribulations. Let me assure you, and I say this tongue-in-cheek, nothing impresses an important customer more than giving him an email address that is Klingon293 at (laughs) MarijuanaCentral.com. Spend $12 a year and get a domain that says, hey, I'm real and I'm professional. I'm not really a Klingon, okay? You would be utterly flabbergasted at how often that happens. And the customers, we found out, will go and look up your website and they'll go look up and they'll just quietly, are these guys real or is this just a a joke of some kind? Spend the $12 for the domain and at this point, the first year we were set up, we were running with a couple of we were succeeding, and we were having fun. And that was, and that's a kind of a shot at one of the mantras that they teach at the uh, Collins uh, Management courses, and that is, uh, when you're assessing whether or not you should take on a job, or try to pursue it, they say, is it real? Is it worth it? Can we win? We added a fourth one. Is it fun? because we already did the non-fund stuff, so now we're ready to do something else. All right, that was 2003. Jump forward six, another three years there, 2006. We had more SBIR contracts. We, we kind of got the SBIR thing down to a, a formula. Uh, we also took on some commercial customers for the first time, and we got a new government customer outside of the SBIR program. We one knows as a result of the Rolodex. Now, Kristen, who's my second in command, said they're not going to know what a Rolodex is. And uh, I said, well, I don't know. It depends what the audience is. It was uh, yeah, it was a rota- a, ho- uh, a bunch of cards. that somebody, It's a trade name, uh, and they were on a a horizontal rotary thing in alphabetical order, and you kept all of your contacts' names, kind of like business cards, on this Rolodex. And uh, the thing that we found out, kind of suspected, but uh, got confirmed pretty quick, is the government people that I worked with for 34 years, they weren't doing business with Rockwell Collins. They were doing business with Bob Sternowski. And when I left there, I kept getting phone calls. They found my forwarding number, and they just got hey, Bob, how you doing? Hey, can you build this? We need some of these. Uh, can you still repair these things? You know, Collins told us they didn't want to do it anymore. Can you do it? Oh, sure. We ended up never advertising. We ended up with people calling, seeking us out based on our prior experience with them and saying, hey, can you do more? Can you fix it? Can you build more of this 40-year-old radio? which has been one of our most profitable activities. An interesting tidbit for why that, and and again, I'm just trying to give you the big picture of what we did. Sample of one, but how we got to be where we are, Um, building a 40-year-old radio. Well, Collins couldn't build them anymore. The parts were obsolete, you couldn't get them. we had the same problem except that we'd said well we'll just lift up the cover and put some different parts under it and it'll do the same you'll never know the difference they said that's good all it has to do is work like it used to and plug into the same place in an airplane the reason was the fifty thousand dollar radio and that's kind of the atmosphere that we work in is ten thousand to hundred thousand dollars a piece um to rewire an airplane and certify it for use is $25 million. So paying us to make a new radio that plugs into the same spot is the difference between $25 million and $50,000. That was a good deal. We made that extremely well and we still do. That's our primary business is replacing old stuff by putting the newest technology into it at this point we'd grown a bit we had eight part-timers five full-time people still lots of room in the dairy uh, a lot of empty floor space we got into manufacturing stuff with our commercial customers uh, we were making a little control modules that went on the cellular base stations on all your cell towers see those white sticks on top of the tower that's the cellular antenna we made like a quarter million control modules that go inside those antennas. Never touched them. We designed them, tested them, had some, a couple of different companies here in Iowa manufacture them and ship them directly to the customer. And we collected our markup off the top. So that, that's what we did. it. We decided that we didn't want to have a factory. We didn't want to buy a million dollars worth of automated manufacturing equipment. We're going to do what we're good at design this stuff have somebody else manufacture it we still get the market up that was our profit and that was the money the profit we had to plow into other things I still ran everything but the design work I started to kind of split that out Uh, still in the hub and spoke uh, organization we were expanding but still pretty well under control things are things are going pretty well at this point Okay, we're going to skip forward a little bit more, 2009, another three years. Now we're really growing. We had six, uh, six SBIR contracts going, more commercial customers, more government customers. We're up to 20 people, and at this point, we added two administrative people. Now, one of the things I knew from Collins uh, and my experience there, as well as uh, MBA class, is that As an organization grows, you have to add infrastructure and overhead. You don't have a choice. You're going to die if you don't. So we had a bookkeeper and we had an administrator that would uh, offload a bunch of stuff from me uh, and the others and let let those people focus on what they were good at, which is mainly the technical end of the business, and offload the business end to someone else and the bookkeeper was a huge help and the administrator was, just took care of everything else that needed to be done. That worked out well. We're still doing volume manufacturing, we had added more things uh, to our uh, manufacturing, manufacturing repertoire. We are privately held, I, I should have mentioned that earlier, I own the company and all the stock of the C-Corp, so by owning all the stock, I own the company. Uh, so, we don't disclose financials. We are not required to disclose financials. We don't disclose financials, but we're doing a couple million a year. It was, uh, it was going pretty well. Uh, we spun off uh, some new products from SBIR and formed a new company, and that was uh, Midwest Microwave Solutions. Uh, some of the key employees went with that. We did that because of the strategy and product split as from one of the SBIR programs, two of them, actually. We'd invented some very unique things for the military uh, government business. And uh, the gentleman that was kind of the champion for that said, you know, we really ought to just bet the whole company on that. And I said, "Mm, I don't like that. And so we agreed that, well, if you think it needs that much emphasis and has that much opportunity, let's just split things and you take that, and with our blessings and enjoy, and we'll just stick to what we're doing. And we did. And so we spawned another company, and they just took the technology and went off in, in uh, their own way. I still ran everything at this point, but it was getting a little bit, uh, it's starting to get kind of busy here. Uh, we we're expanding. And things are starting to get crazy and which is one of the reasons we split that off jump forward a little bit more 2015 now we had a lot of stuff going on we are up to 25 to 30 people part-timers kind of came and went part-timers are great because they only cost you money when they're working and the rest of the time they go off boating mowing the lawn or whatever else they want to do particularly if you use retired people this place is filled this area is filled with people like that use them that is a really really efficient way to work and they love it and we paid really good money to the part-timers just come in for five hours a week and most of your part-timers Yes, or somebody knew of it. Virtually every employee at Collins was known by at least one employee already. Uh, So we knew everybody we were hiring. We were not hiring pigs in a poke, as they say. Uh, Just, I don't know what this guy's going to do when we get him here. We knew him. In many cases, we'd worked with him for 20 or 30 years. So that, that was part of a strategy is we, everybody, everyone was pre-vetted because somebody knew them. And that was, turned out to be very valuable. Uh, things kind of proceeded there. But then we had our first glitch in the 14, uh, uh, first real problem uh, that we had. The government uh, budget sequester hit us. We had a whole bunch of uh, projects that we'd invested our money in and we were waiting for contracts awards, that all got yanked out from under us. Uh, and we were just left holding the bag, having spent the money, and now what do we do? And uh, we had to go uh, negotiate a bank loan to keep us going, uh, to uh, bail us out and get us over the hole there in the spending. That c- took a couple of years to smooth out. Uh, and pay off the loans because uh, it was a problem. It was unexpected. It's one of those things that hit you that you don't see coming. We thought we took what we thought had been prudent risks, contained risks. But then when the government decides, all right, we're not going to spend any more money. There's nothing you can't. You didn't see that coming soon enough to do that. And uh, there's not much you can do about it. I'll also say that. Um, Our typical cycle of a project for the government, for the military, is uh, anywhere from one and a half to three years. So when you get a contract, uh, you'll spend a year and a half or two designing it, and then maybe another year getting uh, getting started up to where you deliver the first one. When you get a contract to do that, the government pays you when you deliver it. They don't pay you in advance and they don't pay you as you go. You have to float the money. And that's what I mean by keeping the riffraff out as competition. You have to have a certain amount of uh, something uh, to operate under that environment. Uh, We changed at this point though, we changed to a matrix organization, which is what I was used to from uh, Collins as were many of the other people. The problem is that the hub and spoke structure had too wide a span of control. Uh, Classic uh, studies from the uh, German War College of the uh, 19th century and 20th century uh, showed and demonstrated uh, at their military academy that the optimum span of control was five to one. One person should never manage or control or direct more than five people for optimum efficiency. Go to Germans, you know, everything was about efficiency. Uh, I was trying to run with 25 or 30 people and that was insane. So we, I finally realized that, yeah, time to change to a matrix. And so that we had an organization that was engineering, business, production, and so on. And uh, that uh, moved uh, much more nicely. We moved to a larger building for less rent. Uh, the building we had been renting from Mr. Mooney forever, uh, changed hands, he sold it to somebody else. They wanted to like triple or quadruple the rent. And we said, for this cinder block built, no thanks. So we went over uh, to the uh, French photography building and uh, I had known the French's for like 30 years. I'm a musician in my other life. And uh, the French's, I played in bands with them forever since I'd been in town. And so we rented a chunk of their building, a small piece. And then we, uh, when the uh, uh, early, uh, early development part of it, uh, when the MISD left, we rented that piece. So we have everything but Mr. Beans, which we simply refer to as our cafeteria right. <laughs> uh, yeah, they got a lot of business from us. Uh, so we rented that much nicer and we were continuing to prosper and go on but a little more careful and deliberate and a few dents in our armor after the sequester episode that we had. So nothing, things are never always roses. Yeah, everybody gets their dents, uh, dents in your armor occasionally. Fast forward to today. We kind of moved out of the SBIR program. The SBIR program was good for developing new technology on the government's money. And you could then do anything you wanted with that technology. You could put it in commercial products. You could sell products to the government. It's great for new technology. We had enough for the moment. Uh, You can kind of just drop in and drop out of that and bid on topics as you see fit and when you see fit and that's kind of what we did and we've been out of that for a while. Although we're just going to do one right now, uh, just getting ready to do one for first time in years. More new customers came in, we started tilting more toward commercial which is kind of interesting. Uh, see that phenomenon at Rockwell, uh, I, I keep saying Rockwell because it was Rockwell when I was there so it's, uh, it's, it's always going to be a Rockwell to me. I think they have shirts now with velcro patches so they can change company logos uh, quickly. That's an inside joke down there. Uh, uh, we uh, we're stabilized around 25 people still the same two oh, actually we added a, a financial controller recently. Uh, volume manufacturing has gone up making a lot more and diverse stuff. We did build up a little bit more in-house capability. We only build, manufacture inside things that require what's called touch labor. That's what we call it. And that's where you have somebody sitting there with a soldering iron, wires, and wire strippers, and a screwdriver, and so on, actually assembling things. Most electronics these days is printed circuit boards. That takes a multi-million dollar automated factory to do. We don't want to do that. Uh, we hire somebody to do that part production lot sizes though got us into the wonderful world of bank financing because now we're getting one two three million dollar manufacturing products remember you don't get paid for a year year and a half and so now we got we got a, had a new problem other than being out of the box designers how do we pay for this stuff and then we, had a lot, uh, we have a large number of projects now that are going into manufacturing and that's, uh, that's our growing pain right now is how do we set things up to keep that cash flow going and it comes down to timing and you say well why don't you talk to your you got commercial customers, get some money up front. I can tell you firsthand: Rockwell Collins says thou shalt not prepay for anything. That's what the finance rules say. You do not pay up front because there's a risk keyword. They may fold or not be there when you need them. And so they will not prepay you, they will not pay you up front. They pay you cash on dock. On dock uh, being the term for when we get it, then, then we'll pay, you. we'll approve the payment and we'll pay you 120 days after we get it. Another minor thing. Uh, and I, I tell people that we are the antithesis of what McDonald's does. You sell stuff and count the cash every week. We do it once every two years you get to do that. So it's a little different world. So that's kind of how we progressed through things. Uh, lessons learned. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and reminisce here for uh, for a few minutes here. The uh, lessons learned were kind of interesting. They were were happening all along the way. Uh, And sometimes you don't realize it until you think about it later. Like, huh, yeah, we should have seen that, we should have known that. The most important lesson, which we did do, is we funded it incrementally. Uh, A lot of people want to do a startup, say, hey, I'm going to get somebody to deposit a dump truck full of money in my driveway. And obviously, we go spend and do it. And if we happen to run out of money, well, too bad. Uh, We did it incrementally. And uh, you need to keep strategic control. Uh, And you need to have a plan for what you're going to do. Investors, and that's a bank, a venture capitalist, an angel investor, whatever you do, uh, if you put your own money in it. Whoever puts the money in wants to tell you what to do with that money. And don't ever forget that. If you don't remember anything else, whoever's money it is, that's who's in charge. And um, pooling some modest modest personal funds is uh, really... Do that to get started. Don't, like I said, go out and buy a new building, new furniture, new equipment, new everything. Take them all the Tahiti for a family vacation. You can't do that your first couple years. Go get rooted. Be successful first. Invest incrementally. When I say incrementally, what we did is the first, no, first job, 10 or 12 jobs we did, First couple of years, any profits we made got reinvested back in it. We'd buy more equipment, we'd buy more whatever. And we used part-timers extensively because you only paid them when they were working. And you didn't have them there sitting mag- reading magazines or doing something else when you didn't need them to do anything. Uh, I can't recommend, I recommend that highly enough. That's a good way to do it. Stick to what you know how to do. We knew how to do radios. The reason I put my background up there was, I put I, I'm doing what I know how to do. I'm not trying to do something that I don't know what I'm doing. I I hire somebody else to do that. But then again, out of the uh, I'll give credit to the rockwell, the many rockwell training classes that I had to go to. They taught you don't ever subcontract your core expertise. I know how to design radios. I'm not about to let somebody else design a radio for me when my business is designing radios. Collins is doing that now, by the way, which is not a good sign. We are designing radios for Collins. That is, to me, is about as bizarre and sad as it gets because that says we're moving out of the radio business. Interesting tidbit. But they taught that, and I happen to agree. And uh, I saw lots of cases uh, in that area with other small businesses I've worked with. With Collins itself, myself, don't subcontract your core expertise, but don't overreach and try to do something you know how to do. Don't know how to do. Manage cash flow very carefully. Um, in a big company like Collins. We never much thought of it. We had a finance department, they worried about that. Uh, Ma Rockwell had a big checking account, so if we need a little buffer money, Ma Rockwell provided all that. Boy, you don't have that. You're working out of your checkbook and you look and see what the checkbook balance is. Can we afford to buy those parts? Nah, not until the other guy pays us and can't buy anything more. You have to watch cash flow like a hawk. That's just the way it is. Uh, I, uh, I, I worked with at the Credium with Rod Short up until, uh, uh, until the, uh, all around 19, around 2013 or so, Rod Short over at Collins Credit Union. And he was a really good advisor and uh, gave us a lot of practical advice. And uh, one of his comments is, why do you want to sit on an account with a million dollar buffer in it? He said, you're in the design business. What the hell, once not you go design something? Why do you want to send a million dollars? Well, I want to have a buffer. He said, when you need money to get over something, rent the money from us and just go do your business. I thought that was really good advice. He told me the same thing. I'm sorry about your industrial park again. I, he says, I was talking about buying a building. He says, what the hell do you want to buy a business, a building for? Are you in the real estate business? Uh, no. Then why do you want to own a building? And uh, what he did is put me in a spot. I couldn't come up with a good reason why I should own a building instead of just leasing or renting one. Okay, fair question. Next year you can rent some space. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I want the one overlooking the park where the band plays. There you go. Uh, we uh, the, uh, the message there is that you can get some really good uh, advice. Uh, from whoever you're doing your banking with if you ask. You can also go to SCORE and you got a lot of retired uh, business people and banking people here. Just ask around. If you ask the question or ask for help, there'll be plenty of people that'd be happy to help you. Uh, Like I said earlier, I consider it part of my obligation as a startup that survived to help other people if you ask. I'll help you, I can't spend full time but I can sure advise that, read business plans, comment on things, and uh, chat over a cup of coffee. Uh, Everybody would be happy to do that because we all have a vested interest and a certain amount of pride in helping other people try and replicate your success. That's a good thing to do for everybody. Uh, Our presence in government Rolodexes, now that we all agree what Rolodexes are, (laughs) Do you, a little bit of uh, information, do you know that they tried to make a software app equivalent of a Rolodex? They did that, they tried to market it for about a year, and that one when PCs first came out, they had one screen, was a Rolodex card, and you typed everything in, and it was a very, very early database, it was a failure. Then. Then nothing like a regular Rolodex was. It kept dumping stuff and losing the old history and everything. There's nothing like having 13 layers of penciled-in names and phone numbers on a Rolodex card. <laughs> the software version just lost something. Um, but we do very little marketing or sales or shows or anything. People call us. And that, to me, is probably the most efficient form of marketing you can get. They know where we are. They call us and say, hey, can you do this? Um, and, and one of the interesting things I keep telling my successors, and we'll talk about succession in a minute, is somebody in a company is going to be on duty 24-7. This is the way it works. We work with well Australia. You know when we have meetings? Sunday evening at dinner time, our time. You know, when we send them stuff friday when they're having saturday evening dinners uh you start working around one day time changes seven days a week people are calling you one of our biggest jobs came about as a result of one of our large good customers calling me up the evening after christmas when everybody was closed and he says hey We're doing a new system, and it occurred to me that if we modified one of your radios, we could probably use that and save a lot of time and money. What do you think? Think you can do it? Would you be interested? I said, sure, that's a great idea. That was it. That was the job. The the evening after Christmas, he just called up out of the blue sky and asked that, and that's how we got the job. That's our 20 years worth of work looking ahead. As and, that, and that's what I, and I keep telling people you don't turn your cell phone off. You don't get to do that. One person has got to be on duty all the time if you're going to have a small business and stay close to your customer, which is the corollary to that. Adding infrastructure as you grow, I already talked about that. Uh, and that is inescapable if you. Ignore that. When you see something getting out of control, and you know I really need to have another person that's doing that, you're gonna die if you don't do it. Don't try and be, fr- be frugal every place, but with infrastructure, and you'll know when it's time to add somebody. My brother uh, worked for uh, Collins, Rockwell Collins, back in the old days here, and he left, and he, it's kind of a long story, but he ended up at one of our competitors. Harris up in Rochester, New York, a radio competitor. And uh, I talked to him about, uh, I talked to him frequently, but about six months after he went up there, uh, I said, so what do you think? I said, you guys are gonna eat us alive and buy us up? And he said, he thought about it for a second. He says, let me, let me tell you what Harris is like. He says, this is the largest small business I've ever seen. He says, these guys have no rules. No procedures. Now, at Rockwall, every one of us had a six-foot bookcase of rules, okay? Uh, he says these guys have none. He says, let me give you an example. One of the problems at Columns is we had a customer that wants something. Uh, we would, uh, I as the program manager working directly with the customer, would figure out what they want. Blah, 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 and then we have to go through 92 levels of approval to send that bid out to them. I'm exaggerating, it was only 90. Uh, But at Harris, any employee could write up a proposal and put it, send it to the mail room and send it to the customer. There were no approvals for sending anything out. And and so I naively ask, Doesn't that cause you guys some problems? And he goes, oh yeah, (laughs) a lot of problems. So infrastructure is important. As you grow, you gotta have infrastructure. Establish your hook. One of my mentors uh, at uh, Collins, uh, a longtime resident here, Jerry Carter, died some years ago. He was my mentor in marketing and he uh, said, what's your hook? I'd come in here and describe some great idea I had for this, that, and he'd say, Where's your hook? And he was referring, of course, to the old P.T. Barnum and Circus with the big cane with the hook on the end of it to pull you in. And uh, that was the illusion. And he said, what's the hook? Why are people going to buy your product instead of somebody else's? What's your hook? And he beat that into me so many times that I started finally got the idea and started to think, OK, what is our hook? Why will they buy it from us instead of somebody else? Always ask that question, and you better be able to answer it. Know your market, your customer, your technology, and your competition. That's a tough thing to do. Uh, Sometimes it's one person. Sometimes it's a team of people that it takes to do that working in coordination. Anymore, it's probably a team. Um, You have to understand all of those things, though. Uh, In particular, Um, who you have to, when you're, particularly when you're starting the business uh, and the ones that I've advised, I say, okay, who is going to buy how many at what price? Can you answer that for me? And if they say, well, no, we're going to invent it and um, people are just going to buy it because it's great. Uh, No, wrong answer. That was Art Collins' downfall. I don't know how many of you know the details of why Art Collins failed other than the, uh, well, the sellout. But Art Collins invented basically Ethernet 20 years before he had computers of any significant thing. He recognized that distant digital communications was going to revolutionize the world. And so he set out Around 1960, to design his own digital communication system, and coincidentally decided that, well, I may as well build a computer and a tape stand and a disk drive and the printers. I'll just build a whole computer system to go with the digital communications so we could have distributed digital communications. The 1960s were all spent by Collins, a radio then, before, it was, uh, Colin, uh, before somebody bought it, were spent inventing the C system, which is what he calls his computer and digital communication system, 20 years ahead of his time. The guy was a visionary, I got to give him that. He was putting all the money from the Vietnam war materials uh, contracts. And I remember I was saying the production pays for your reinvestment and new things. All the profits, when we were at 14,000 people peak employment in the Vietnam War days, those profits were all going into the computer system. Then when the Paris Peace Accords came around, DOD cleverly figured, okay, well this is going to end Let's just terminate all the defense contracts and they terminated all defense contracts with a meat axe on the same day. Collins cash flow was suddenly dropped to zero. As did the rest of the defense industry and that was the great aerospace crash of the early 70s. The whole aerospace business went in a tank because DOD, without thinking through and without the administration thinking through the consequences of what they were about to do, they just said, "Okay, we're just going to save all this money in a war and we're not going to buy any more defense goods, any contract that was in process, kill it. Pick something. Company specialty may, should probably drift over to whatever you're good at, not what I was good at uh, in the uh, business. In summary, I promised an hour, it's an hour. Uh, Starting a small business is not for the faint of heart. My uh, second-in-command keeps saying that. She says, you are right. This is not for the faint of heart. And I said, yes, that's right, it isn't. There's a new surprise every day and uh, something different every day. But you know what? I learn something new every day. And I love that part of it because there's something always happening, a new challenge, a new customer. Technology's changing at warp speed. Uh, there's lots of opportunities, and we're the, I, I, I uh, picture us as the mouse that's running between the feet of the Boeings and the Gullens and the Raytheons. You know, just the idea is don't get stepped on accidentally. Uh, I'd be happy to stay and chat. Um, I thank you for your attention and uh, appreciate your uh, inviting me. It's just kind of, like I say, a sample of one who's been through the journey here and the uh, trials and tribulations, and uh, it's been an interesting ride. I'd recommend it, but know what you're getting into.